0: All right, everyone, uh, welcome back to Jean-Jacques Machado, No Gui Required. Today, to me, it's, it's incredible what the Jiu-Jitsu world can do and make you end up meeting people that you never, ever imagine. I saw this gentleman in, in the middle of 90s in Brazil and the biggest show Brazil has in terms of music. And I have right here next to me someone that I never thought I would be sitting right next to him because I saw him at that show in 1994 in Brazil. What do we know? I have today here Ricky Rocket, the drummer of that amazing, incredible band, Poison. Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) And I'm the one that's... uh kind of blown away that I'm sitting here with the great Sean Jockman, the most technical grappler in the world.
0: <laughs> Man, that's what, what jiu-jitsu can do. It's incredible. And uh, Ricky also, besides all the expertise as a drummer, he's also black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's been training jiu-jitsu for a lot of years. He's been training so many years with Renato Magno, one of the Machados, I think the only Machado brothers, black belt, I don't know any other, and Rick has been training, I don't know, how many years? 25 years. 25 years. Oh, my gosh. Because we just
1: found a photo that was 23 years old, and he goes, oh, that was, you had already been training two years, because Eddie Bravo was there, and, uh, and that was a photo from here and so we ran the dates. And so, yeah, it's 24, 25, something like that. I should be good by now at this, right? <laughs> I mean,
0: the you know what is incredible is um, one of the things that I know, and I will go back to that later on, is that I don't think you taught training jiu-jitsu for many years. One day you actually going to be in a competition. And you wait all the way to, you your black belt?
1: Yeah. I was a black belt for three months. And I'm fighting some guy. It's like a third or fourth degree. It's like, <laughs> but
0: to know the incredible thing is, Rick, is to me, just the fact that you sign up, you show up, you fought, and that was pretty close match. It's for me is a victory because I don't. It, it's incredible because someone and I, I, consider you, you're like a celebrity, and to see someone to some. <laughs> dedicate, man, to all of us. Trust me. A lot of people that I speak about you, they know who you are more than I can imagine. And I call some people to find things about you that I did not know and fans of yours. And it's incredible to see that the dedication you have and explain to me why you're such an incredible musician. Oh, thank you so oh, much. Man. I'm humbled
1: by your words. No, no. Um, yeah.
0: So <laughs> let me start asking you here is... It's interesting to me because I, I have no idea. I just like the music, the song, and enjoy. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people know, but I, I'm here and I'm going to ask you questions that I have on my own. Sure. What did make you start? Because become a drummer in, in such a success in a band. And if I'm not wrong, it's 45 million copies sold outside the United States. 15-plus million cops sold in the United States. And I remember as my teenager years, man, that Poison was one of the main musics I have driving my car. How was that beginning for you?
1: Well, it was cra- I, My, You know, my dad was a trumpet player. And so the first instrument I ever tried to play was trumpet. I was okay at it, uh, but I just really liked drums. And so he was... Um, Uh, a taxi driver and somebody couldn't pay their fare one day and they gave him a guitar as payment. So he brought it home and I went, Oh, I I guess I should learn to play guitar. So I started this little band called the GTOs and we we played on a picnic table and I kept looking up, I know I want to play drums. I don't want, do you want this? You know, no, no, no. it's, It's your dad's. You can't. So finally I went, dad, you know what? I love this guitar. I just want to play drums he goes okay you're on your own how, how, how old, are you gonna figure how, out <laughs> How old were you back then Oh uh, probably 10 11. you already something. knew what
0: you want you want to play before drums? that I wanted
1: to be a race car driver but and then, and then I saw you know live music and a live drummer and all of a sudden everything changed so I got
2: who so, was your inspiration
1: as far as drumming you know what at, at that moment was just this guy and a local band uh, that played at camp. My buddy said, hey, let's go to my uh, Boy Scout camp. We went, and there was a band playing called the Riverboat Crew. And uh, everyone's all, you know, hand-grabbing uh, crayfish and stuff. And I'm sitting there just watching the drummer going, oh, my God, this is so amazing. They're loud. They're just, you know what I mean? And uh, I just wanted to play drums after that. So um, I wound up – uh, this is not – Nice, okay. My sister was dating this guy, and he had bongos in his car. And I saw him in the back of that car, and I went, took him, hit him <laughs> in my room, right?
0: We just borrowed. I, I, Let's yeah, go this I, way. We just borrowed that.
1: So I'm playing him, and she found out that I took him. And she was babysitting for me one night. And immediately she said, you're going to the room, your room for the night. She felt a little bit bad, so she goes, I'll give you my record player or I'll give you some of my records. I'm like, okay. So I had the bongo drums. I had the record player. I'm like, so I started playing along to the records. And at that moment, I just knew that I can do this. I know I can do this. So that started my whole journey.
0: And you know. where where was that? Because you your native here from... Pennsylvania, no pennsylvania, cent- right? central pennsylvania
1: yeah yes mm-hmm. harrisburg area so um, not too far from philadelphia
0: and and jumping to how how many would say when was the age that because i know you create a band as getting a teenager and an adult stage you have until you became part of the group poison and how how was that end up happening because it was uh interesting reading some of the things about you. Is you start the drum and here we go, and suddenly later on you see on that amazing band.
1: You know, I wanted to perform like kind of right away. You know what I mean? I'd learn a little bit and I'd be like, oh, hey, come watch me. You know what I mean? I needed that gratification or something. And uh, so you know, I constantly was putting little bands together. And somebody would get mad at somebody and they'd walk away. Somebody get mad. And this is what I always try to explain to younger musicians that go like, hey, what is the secret to staying together for a long time and stuff like that? And it's so weird because we're this sport is kind of an individual sport, you would think. But if you don't have a team, it's going to fall apart. You cannot do this on your own, okay? And I always tell people that it's a lot like sports. Everybody has their position in the band and you have to learn to respect it and you have to work together and it's the collective. It's thing, a definite they, a they, team, they, they
0: team effort. Team it's effort an effort.
1: For sure. It's a team effort. And if you don't have that, so many musicians grow up very into themselves planned you know it's all about them all about them all about them and they get into a group situation and it's it's all about that guy it's all about that guy and nobody's getting along and nobody's really working together you have to figure out how it's good if you're going to play music you should also do sports i know that sounds crazy and people are going to be like no you're wrong yeah i'm right Trust me, you have to learn that team spirit. If you don't learn it, uh you you're, you're going to have a hard time working together in a band. You're going to think you're the guy and 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 you can do it without anybody. And there's very few people that can really do that. You got Prince, you got a couple of people here and there that have ever uh you know, really done well on their own, but it's a team. It's a team.
0: And it it's incredible to me is and I'm asking that because I, I have no idea. I mean, we see things, but how is it to travel the world to have so many shows and have thousands and millions of people watching? What, is that a way to describe that feeling when you go to a show and you see this huge crowd in front of you guys and here we go? What is the feeling that you... Believe it or not
1: it's actually scarier to play for a small group of people. I know that sounds funny. You can see everybody's eyes on you. You can see every little judgment in their eyes and all that kind of stuff. When you're playing a big show, you're just kind of doing your thing out there. It's like it's like like Rock and Rio when we played there and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but it it was like I felt like I was swimming in quicksand. It's like I felt like I couldn't play fast enough or I was playing too I just felt like I was in dreamland. You know what I mean? So it's sort of a dreamy feeling, you know? Uh, and, and when I play for smaller groups of people, it's like that's like a hard reality. It's like
0: I'm looking at you. I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would be the difference that you see from your time on the early days as musician in today's time?
1: Uh, It's so different to try to get anywhere. Obviously, there's a lot of social media involved these days. Um, You know, when we were growing up um, in central Pennsylvania uh, on the East Coast, there was a lot of punk rock and new wave around the time that I was trying to do rock and roll, okay? But the punk movement, the thing that was so cool about it is they were a do-it-yourself kind of mentality. Yes. Okay. And so we took cues from that. And we're going to make our own flyers. We're going to rent our own places to play. We'll do our own mailing. We'll do everything. We'll make our own clothes. We'll just do everything. And that concept, that punk attitude, uh, helped build us to be able to do... We were actually kind of non-conformist we were the non we were the ones that were the rebels because we were the younger rock guys going I don't care if new wave and punk is big right now we're going to do this stuff right we're going to and uh, we want big rock we want all that stuff and and it worked it worked better when we got out here on the west coast because that was happening already out here the east coast was a different groove um New York was, like I said, very new wave, Blondie, all that stuff. And Philly was vocal bands, a lot of black vocal bands. Uh, Harrisburg was somewhere in between all that. Washington, D.C. was very punk rock. And Baltimore was very rock and roll. Uh, so we played Baltimore uh, a lot. Uh, Rico Ciparelli's uh, hometown, the, the butcher, the Baltimore butcher. Um and, uh, you know, but moving out here, this is where it was happening. You know, this is where uh, there was people were starting to get traction with, with hard rock.
0: And, and when, when did you feel that, you know what, I think we're going to take over. When was that click that you as a musician have your band felt this was a hit?
1: I'll tell you exactly when I knew something was different about us. It was probably, not, we moved out here in 84. Uh, I want to say 80, 85, late 85, November 12th, 1985. We played the Troubadour. And we, when we showed up to the gig, we had a line around the block. And it was a game-changing gig. I went, who else is playing with us? And they're like, no, they're here for you. I'm like... Whoa, this is crazy. Now, that's a couple of a few hundred people in the big picture. You're like, that's still a microcosm, right? But I knew that what we were doing, we were going the right direction, you know what I mean? And then I thought it's going to be easy from here, but it wasn't, you know. I mean, our first. You know, our first song that was on MTV was at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, Nobody yeah. saw right. it. You know,
2: it's like <laughs> I used to stay up until I don't know. Headbangers Ball was like at midnight or something. It was always really that late was the, in the best evening. time, right? Yeah.
1: That's when you got all the good stuff, yeah. right? You know, not the heavy rotation stuff. You know, and and uh, but yeah. So I was like, hey, we're in. Uh, breakout rotation or something like that, whatever they put it on there. And the record company was like, look, we'll give you another video, but you're not going to have the budget. We'll give you another single, but you're not going to have the budget. And only if you get a tour. And uh, we were like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Otherwise we're back at the warehouse, living in a warehouse. And we got the rat tour opening for rat. And it, um, and you know, God bless Rat for taking us out there. You know, um, that you know that band definitely helped break Poison. A lot of people don't know that, but um, because they wanted us out in the road, and we started to do better than them uh, at one point. Um, you know, our merchandising—we only had a couple shirts; they had a ton, and we were starting to outsell them. And uh, it, it was an interesting time. Then I don't think they liked that, but then they went. You know what? Hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, but let's just be good sports about it. And uh, and they always were. They always were, so
0: in, in in all of this is let's take Brazil out. Which country was in a way your favorite place that you felt, man, that was an amazing show we had. In which country did you felt Somehow more, because I'm sure you feel connections with the crowd when you go and do your show, but which place that you felt like, man, that was
1: one of the Outs- amazing
0: moments outside, outside the U- United States? Yes, outside US.
1: U.S. Um, probably, you know, probably Castle Donington. You know, we played that show, and it was crazy. It was a big show. It wasn't as big as Rock and Rio, but almost. Um, and that's a massive crowd. And, you know, so, and I don't even... I was on, you know, when you play, like I said before, when you play those kind of shows, those big shows, I'm sure you've done this when you've competed in front of a lot of people, you feel like you're an automatic pilot a little bit. It's like your instinct is kicking in. You're not thinking about it, you know. It's,
0: that's, that's one of the questions I have, because to me, when I put my gear on, it feels like um, I, I change or something changed on me. And I'm sure, and I like the, the things that you do, it you have a lot of the makeup and the hair and the whole production. Did you feel that when you do that and you look in the mirror, it's something that kicks in, it's like, okay, I'm in uh, show, show mode.
1: Oh, totally! You put your rock outfit on. You know what I mean? It's like you know, it's it gives you some bravery and uh, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of like the. You know, I grew up with Long Ranger and all that kind of stuff. You know, you put you put on a mask and you and you go fight. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so you know, I've always uh, loved the pageantry of rock, as well as the music. I like that. Uh, that the I've always found that when it usually starts from a person's attitude, and from their attitude, they dress a certain way, they play a certain way, they talk a certain way. Everything comes from that attitude. Like like uh, Rico said that one day he goes, you know, bo- boring people are usually boring fighters. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, boring people are usually boring rock stars, um, or not rock stars at all. You know, but uh, and sometimes there's this hidden personality you know, that comes out, that they don't show. I just did a a video on uh, Blind Al Wilson from, um, uh, from Camp Heat. And this was a guy that on stage, he was unbelievable, but he was a very, very insecure person and didn't want to be around anybody when he was off stage. So you never know, but generally speaking, you know what I mean? It, it gives you some sort of power. You know what I mean? I'm going to put on my rock outfit and destroy the world. You know, I'm going to put on my superhero outfit and destroy the world. You know,
0: it's fun. And doing that, when, how can I ask you that? Let's go back here to one thing that uh, I'm also curious to know. When was the 1st which we'd say, glimpse of an idea for you to actually start practicing jiu um well i come
1: you know i wrestled in high school uh intramural wrestling i i was on the team and i didn't want to cut my hair so the coach said we're cutting it off at the match <laughs> <laughs> and i <laughs> that's how they did it back then right he had a he because you're not going to like the haircut So go get it cut by somebody that's good. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I I wrestled. I was good. I was good at it. Um, But years later, I mean, I watched the movies and everything, and I thought, well, martial arts has got to be this crazy kung fu stuff. So I enrolled in a kung fu school. I tried that. You know what I mean? I'm like, why isn't this working? I'm not beating everybody up. You know what? I couldn't figure it out. But uh, we had a situation when we moved out here where my life was literally threatened uh, with a guy with a knife, and I decided that when if I ever made some money, I was going to take privates and learn how to f- defend against a knife. And so I found Cass Magda, yes, who's one of Phanat's uh, students now, and uh, Guru Cass, uh, his, you know, he was second generation uh, Jeet Kundu. so we learned the Bruce Lee stuff and the Muay Thai, Sealot. Uh, and then when I started to play around with the sea lot, I didn't even care about anything else because I was back to grappling. It was a loose grappling. It was a stand-up, more grappling. It's different than jujitsu. It's not as connected. Uh, but I, 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 it rekindled my interest in grappling again. And then when I was with David Meyer at a, uh, an animal I, thing...
0: I know you're very into also animal rights. Yes,
1: yes. Um, and that's when, I think we were at something, and you spoke uh, about diet and things like that, and being responsible and things like that. And I went and talked to you and John, I believe it was.
0: John and Higgin.
1: John, John, yes, John and Higgin, yes, was
0: John and Higgin there.
1: Oh, it was with, not you.
0: With David Meyer.
1: Okay, all right, I apologize. And But uh, what we
0: look like, that's a good thing. I would, <laughs> tell, I would tell everyone that was me, it makes me feel good now.
1: <laughs> we look like. I thought, I thought
0: I had met you that day. No, I didn't know I, my- I came later on, but I remember John mentioned, like, man, we met this great rock star, Ricky Rocket, and we spoke about Jiu-Jitsu, and I think he might come to our school. And I remember that. And I remember was, I think, Alicia Silverstone. She was one of the – Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was somewhere in Beverly her Hills. Brother, her brother was the there. With the fur, with something so for, related yeah, it was to the for fur. Free
1: Friday, yes. I it was uh and uh yeah so i, I was like okay I, I, yeah i'll try it i, I want to go i'll do fine i i had i had i mean i had wrestling under my belt uh i had uh sealon
0: under my belt not is laughing there at you yeah he's laughing it there <laughs> so,
1: so so i walk in one of the first people i meet is eddie bravo okay he's got his hair up in a bathing oh, cap and um, earmuffs on right and, uh, but he doesn't train with me right away. So I'm watching everything. I'm like, what is going on? Everybody's in geese, but they're on the ground. Like, you know what I mean? Sweat everywhere. It was hot in there. And I was like, whoa, this is a trip. Like, why don't you just take that gi off? Like it'd be easier to wrestle. Like that's going to get in the way. And I, I, all these things are going through my head. I wasn't understanding putting anything together. And, uh, and then Dave Myers, like, Hey, you know, started to work with me a little bit. Started to train with a couple of guys. I got twelve I got tapped out about a dozen times. I think it was twelve or thirteen times. I said, I'm never coming here again. <laughs> I walked to the front desk and I said, sign me up. <laughs> My mind was going two different directions. I don't want any part of this. I want to be here every day. I like I and I went home very humbled and thought about a lot of things. I reassessed a lot of my ideas about what self-defense was. And, uh, you know, my inspiration, honestly, uh, was also Royce Gracie in the UFC. Oh, because definitely. I, you know, and I was putting that together. And, and I was, you know, all these things were, were coming together. And then once I started... That was it. I became extremely addicted. It, extremely addicted, as you can tell, 20-some I mean, years later. 25
0: years and yeah. he's still going for his gear on and training. And in, in that whole experience that you have today as a jiu-jitsu black belt, what would be the combination or the comparison, or what influence that jiu-jitsu and the music have on you?
1: Yeah, I have a perfect answer for that. Especially with drums. Drums are 50% mental, 50% physical. Jiu-jitsu is 50% mental, 50% physical. It's like, it's like it peanut butter right and jelly. Into, um, you know what I mean? And uh, and that's why when I, I – I, I swear to God, this is not an advertisement. I'm coming up with my own supplement, right? And Because I, I was talking to the guy going, drummers and jiu-jitsu, martial artists, like we don't want bodybuilder stuff where we get all – bulked up and you know we can't go for two hours or whatever we want to feel good the whole time and and that's what i so i'm actually coming out with my own supplement called black belt blend that's
0: awesome. oh that is fantastic nobody's <laughs> really done a black belt
2: blend that's awesome i have a question too um what you just said about the 50 percent mental um because i've like you i mean i've never played but first concert I ever went to, I was just fixated on the drummer. Like to me, he was the anchor of the show. And um, I just marveled at how each limb was moving independently. I was just studying his technique. I'm like, how does he get one arm to do this, the other arm to do this, his legs, his hands, and like the band is feeding off his rhythm. So when I teach, I use this analogy. I say, you know, um, when you do jujitsu, you're using your whole body. So if you're struggling with a technique, you have to think about it in that context. One one limb is not doing something; something is being neglected. Your whole body is always connected. Your arms are doing something. Your legs are doing something. And if your technique is off, one limb is not doing its job.
1: Would that be an accurate analogy? Absolutely. There's that synergy, without a doubt. I mean, uh, you know, Don- Donaher, the, you know, the coach was talking about. You know when you know you take somebody to the to the ground, um, you're losing fifty percent of your mobility right away. Okay, and uh, it's just like a javelin thrower. You know what I mean? Uh, if you put somebody on their knees, and tr- you're not going to throw the javelin as far. So taking somebody to the ground, it, that synergy of not being able to mobilize the whole body to do something completely changes. But uh, it creates another option now, too. You know what I mean? We live in that other option. Yes, <laughs> you, yes. you know what I'm saying?
0: Let me go back and ask you this, too, because a lot of people today want to become a musician. They want to become a drummer. They want to be with a band. And I think the ex- life experience you have on that, what would you say to someone who dreams about to become a rock star, to be like you, what would be the steps they should take today?
1: God, there's uh, you know I've I've thought about this a lot. Like, how would I go about it if I was starting out right now? You know, and it's so hard to understand myself uh, without uh, my history behind me and how I did things. We just played a lot. We played. A lot of gigs we played a lot of places we got in front of as many people as we could get in front of and uh, did the best we could and that's social media is important obviously these days but I think the main thing is is when one person says to another person eye-to-eye contact this guy is great you know, is different than saying on a podcast or- Yes. I say, oh, this band is really great. You know, you're not really connecting. You have to go to, you have to go to where people, that's one thing Poison did. We, when our record came out, our independent, it was independent, the first record, it did really well because we had played so many of those places already. We just took a Winnebago van and went and went to where everybody lived. You're not coming to us, we're coming to you and we're gonna play for you. Please come out, I promise you'll have a good time. And that's what we did. And I think touring is one of the, and right now unfortunately we can, but uh, touring is an extremely important thing. That personal touch, it's never gonna change. No matter how big any of this stuff gets. That personal, just like teaching a person one-on-one. You can do it remotely, of course. And you can get a lot oh, out of this. Yes. But one-on-one, Completely when touch somebody, yes. it's yeah. different. Yeah. And yeah. Very much so. when, when you play an instrument and that that music hit, hits you physically. From me to you, there's a connection that you can. You feel that do. energy. That yeah. it, it,
0: that's you cannot do that without being one of, in front of the person live. That's that's I agree 100%. With you. I feel. I
1: always wanted our songs to be a soundtrack for our live show because the live show is really what it's all about. So it's like, what are we gonna play live? How can we make it work really well live? That's what it. That's what counts to me, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, that's where I'm really gonna connect with a fan and really know if they, like I said, that that judgmental eyes, man, you see those front people in the front row and it's like you know if you're doing a good job or not that night. It's like, ah,
0: you know, if I, if
1: I don't want to know, I don't want to look at anybody <laughs> because I know I'm doing a bad job right now.
0: <laughs> is, is there like a, any favorite song that you feel that is a must in every show you did
1: yeah probably young skinny bop you know uh, i have other songs that we don't play live that i wish we did uh but that's a good one because it's 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 a good drummer's groove it's a swing um it's it's in four but it swings and uh you know so so probably that one you got to play that one. Everybody bounces up and down, and it's it's a good time. It's it's it imp- epitomizes to me what Poison is about, even more than Talk Dirty to me, which was arguably one of our.
0: Now let me ask you this too. I mean I grew up in uh, something very important in 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 my family, and the a grace family was. I was about nutrition, what we eat, and if I'm correct, you're a vegan.
1: I'm vegetarian. I do have some egg whites and stuff like that, so I'm not gonna, you know, say. But I don't. I haven't had meat in 20. God, I don't know how many years.
0: Did you ago. miss? Did you miss the meat? Did you feel that was an improvement in your health in general? I did feel
1: it was an improvement, uh, and it was hard for me because I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and we had steak on the grill. And I mean, you know, I mean, I grew up with that. I go back, and people are still going over and have a steak. I mean, it's that's just how it is, right? And, uh, but so in order for me to make that transition, and I did it for the animals, you know, not for health, I mean, now I look back, and I'm like, I'm glad I did it for my health. But at that time, I did it because I was promoting to save animals, but I was eating them. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm, I don't have a good argument here people are gonna look at me and say, okay, you're about saving animals, but you eat them, right? Okay, I'm just trying to get this straight. (laughs) So I kinda went, you know, I gotta change this, right? I had to fast for a week, and I didn't like vegetables that much, I didn't. I was a meat and potatoes guy, man, I was. So when I started to come off that fast, I was eating all the things that I didn't like, and they were amazing all of a sudden. All of a sudden, Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so awesome, because I was so hungry. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but it was like... Um, so I, I, I've never looked back. I mean, uh, you know, there's mock meats now, especially with Impossible Burger and all that stuff. It's, it's good stuff. It's high in sodium, so you got to watch it. Uh, so I try to eat more natural way of doing things. But, hey, I've got kids, too, so it's... You know, they want an ice cream sandwich, and it's like, oh no, I'm not gonna have, have a bite, uh,
0: <laughs> you know. Oh, you didn't finish it, oh, <laughs> you know. <it's> now, <laughs> let me ask you this, is, to me, I think the whole life experience that you had, evidently, I think the, the Jiu Jitsu, the music, the, this whole process of your life, comes down later on in life, I think with, with the biggest challenge of your life, and I know that you had, and you beat that. You had cancer in, on your throat. How how was that news to you? Suddenly, well, wait a minute. I have cancer? Yeah,
1: oh. it was terrible. It freaked me out. So what happened was um, the whole family got a sore throat one uh, early, late spring, I think it was. And... Um, Everybody got better, except me. My sore throat didn't go away. So I went back to the doctor for the second time. He had put us all in the same thing, and I said, I also have a lump here. And he goes, oh yeah, you do. Let me scope you. Uh, have you ever had that done? And I go, no. He goes, you might have a secondary infection. I don't know, let me just take a look. He took a look and he sat down, he took his glasses off and goes, I think it's one of two cancers. And I, th- I think we need to do a biopsy right away. And I went, I mean, it's just like, poof.
2: yeah, yeah.
1: I went, what? How? How? And we did a biopsy. I said, I want to do it absolutely as quick as we can. And so the following week, I did. I had to live with it over the weekend. And we did a biopsy, and it came out, and he said, I didn't, I didn't find any cancer. And I said, Oh my god, this is awesome. What do you think it is? Maybe um, I got to tell you, I still think it's cancer. And I went, what? I don't trust it i want to send you somewhere else i don't believe my own biopsy so i went to usc they did a biopsy this took weeks okay they did one here and they did a bunch of different things and they said yeah it is it, it, it's uh it's cancer and i ate
0: now let me ask you this i know it's man i i have no idea that experience that you had but I want to see if you can share what actually goes through your mind. It's kind of, I don't know, you go and suddenly see a whole life flash in front of you. And it's like, oh, it's, is that the end? Or it's another fight that I have to put up. How, how would that happen? How do you kind of uh, see that happening?
1: You know what? I, I, it was hard to digest it at all. Um, you know, the doctor was like, look, it's treatable. It's curable. Um, we just have to pick which way we're gonna go. And uh, there was a couple of options. And the standard of care at the time was chemo radiation or surgery or a combination of any of the three. And uh, he said, look, if it came from HPV, then you have a better chance. Uh, we're finding that the HPV positive patients with head and neck cancer do better. Uh, if you, if it didn't, um, then it's a, your odds are a little less of beating it. And uh, so he said, but it takes several weeks to find out. Great, everything's a waiting game, right? So he said, we don't have time to wait for that. We're just gonna get you into treatment. It's the same treatment anyway. So the tough thing about head and neck cancer is that you have to do it at the same time. You do the chemo and the radiation at the same time or the surgery and then the chemo and the radiation. So you're getting just bombarded, right? I chose to do that Herbitox, which was um, a targeted kind of chemo uh, and uh, because uh, regular chemo can make you deaf, okay? And I already can't hear, okay, very well from years (laughs) of playing drums. So I said, I'll take that option. And uh, he said, I'm not sure if it does quite as well, but I think we'll be fine. And so it was three months of that. It was 38 treatments. Radiation. I couldn't swallow. I was on a, you know, liquid diet. I had to take medicine for. I, I got pimples all over and my tongue. I mean, I, I couldn't eat a banana. I mean, everything was just so labored. It's don't worry, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And you have to wait when you're done with treatment. You have to wait for three months to do the imaging because everything's swelled up, so you can't see anything. So you have to wait for three months which is just horrible. And you think maybe you beat it. You don't know if you beat it. You're like, I hope I beat it. I think I did, because you still don't feel good, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't get better. It was just still there. So they did the imaging after three months, and it was still there. And it was on the other side now. And it was like, now my options went from this to not many. And I had heard about immunotherapy Uh, from that doctor, and there was a guy in San Diego that's the best at it, It maybe in the world, I heard, uh, Dr. Ezra Cohen, so I floored it down there to meet with him, he said he would meet with me on a day off, and he said, I think I can get you on a trial. There's three right now. I think I can get you on a trial, and I started the trial. I had to stay down there for a week and do all these tests, and then they put me on the trial, and in nine weeks, it was... 95% 95% gone, wow. just this tiny little
0: bit. Now, let me ask you this, in, okay. in this whole process that you go through, where did you find the strength? What was the strength behind to make you go through this? Because the waiting time, no certainty of anything. Now you're from the first treatment going to the second one and not even sure it's a trial, it's not something that is qualified a hundred percent yet.
1: Well, the plot thickens, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, during the time that I, when you do radiation, uh, they make a mask, and it fits over your face tight. They, it's wet. They make a wet thing, and they put it on, and it turns into a hard cast. And then they screw you to a table so you can't move because it has to be razor sharp. So you get paranoid. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been pinned down on the ground in jiu for how many years? him on top of me, to every uh, people just bent on my destruction. I can handle this plastic mask for 12, 15 minutes at a shot, 37 times, I'll count down how I'll get through it, and that's how I got through it. I knew that if I really had to get out I could rip it off. I know I could do that. I could hip escape and get out. <laughs> I, I know. I could. So it helped me deal with it. But some people completely freak out, you know what I mean? And Oh, I can imagine. And I understand yeah. that because and then you have to have imaging and that imaging is, you know I'm sure we've all had MRIs probably by this age. And MRIs aren't fun, but when you're doing this stuff all the time. So uh so the trial was every time uh, i would do the um the infusion with the immunotherapy every three weeks and i would take a pill twice a day that was the trial okay and at the end of nine weeks i would do imaging and that first one like i said it was 90 95 gone the second set of imaging completely gone nothing there they did uh I was on other trials too for to trace DNA, cancer DNA, and all kinds of different things. Everything was zero. I mean, it was unbelievable. So they accelerated that treatment uh, through the FDA uh, so that they could get other people on that treatment right away on the K Truda part of it, which I felt like, wow, this is one of the coolest things I ever did. I was involved in something that was successful, now other people are going to benefit from it, right? And that day that I got was, they said, you're 100% no cancer. We hope it stays that way, we don't know. Right now they're 100% and I went, that means I have to do something for other people now. I have to. And they said, well, first thing you have to do is go out to the front desk and check in so you can get your infusion because you're not off the trial yet, okay? I went, okay, no problem. I walked out to the front desk and there's a guy sitting there like this, and he goes, excuse me, are you Ricky Rock?" And I go, yeah, he goes, I heard you were down here. Will you talk to my brother? He has head and neck cancer. And I, I want you, can you help him? And I said, yes, I absolutely can. I know the best doctor in the world <laughs> with the best treatment in the world. And I'm gonna go right now. And I burst into the office. I shouldn't even have done it. I said, I need to talk to you. You're his brother and this is the best doctor. And you, <laughs> I felt like I was so excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like I wanted to help everybody. And I still feel that way. I want everybody that could possibly be on uh, immunotherapy because you get—you don't have to do any of that horrible radiation and all the sick and you don't have to do any of that. Uh, when it works, it, it's amazing. And I wish they would just, let's get past COVID so we can save cancer patients because People need that treatment right now. I'm sure. Right and now. I'm
0: sure. And in a way, in a, it's something, something so incredible because you'll you be in that situation and being somebody so famous, it definitely feels in, in like a, in a mission right now because if people see you did and worked well, you inspire now other people to go out there. It's like, man, you know, Ricky Rocky did it and it worked. Yeah. And I think that definitely will help so many people to... Let I me,
1: hope so. That's all I can do is just hope I, I can mean, inspire do know,
0: people. Do you know one thing it's admire and in celebrities like you, it's, I don't think, I wish I would find more like you, is a way to not just to talk but to do things, the actions that you take, like with the animal rights, and I remember that, and suddenly change your life, Your you know, the way you eat because you don't want to say you do something and you do something else. You just became an example of it. this is so amazing, man. Thank you. And let me go and ask you, I was watching one of the videos you have on on YouTube. I think it's, is that a project that you have? I saw the Topanga Canyon course. Oh yeah, so I have uh, have a
1: YouTube channel called Ricky Rockets Legend Tripping. I've always loved, and people have asked me, they're like, you went through a very dark time. Why do you do dark videos? Um, I've always loved horror stuff and scary stories and spooky stories not cancer stories, but uh, uh, monsters and all that kind of stuff has always been fun for me. And I wanted to do a YouTube channel that wasn't about drums or music or anything that I do professionally. I wanted it to be something that I had fun with, a hobby. And I get to mix riding my motorcycle, uh, my obsession with cameras and video cameras, and my obsession with horror movies and scary fun, urban legends are my thing i love urban legends i always because i can travel all around the country and there's an urban legend in every town every town across
0: yeah, I, the world it was like a very st- danger place in a way the place it you is. went in topanga and they had the the graffiti and the whole the, the abandoned place
1: yeah,
0: yeah 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 yes you can fall It sounds like a, a an investigation almost like uh those tv shows that we see but it's interesting because you're there in person actually showing inch by inch of the location and explain the whole story
1: oh and by the way i'm going to be on i got to find the date but i'm going to be on the travel channel um uh an amityville special they saw my amityville piece that i did and they said oh we need another expert for amityville i'm like i guess i'm an expert (laughs) (laughs) i've been there enough times but yeah so i so i i'm on the show so I, i mean it's a you know it's an hour show or something
0: so and let me ask you this rick um what is music or being a drummer being having that amazing life i think like living a dream to to do in things that you did in your life what that represents to you the music the art the the drummer to be around the world to be able to meet and see a lot of different cultures to you what is that the flavor that you can take from that and and tell us
1: Yeah, you know, i feel like a carny do you know what a carny is now please ex- a,
0: explain a, a me. carny
1: is a person that like travels around with a circus mm-hmm. okay um you, you kind of get um you know i mean my education only you know i, I have a high school education i graduated high school but i didn't go to college so the rest of my education comes from directly seeing things being all over the world seeing do different you, do cultures you th-
0: do and, you think that's most of the time can do even better than college i'm not yes. saying people not to go to college right but <laughs> i'm I, saying that the life itself and please continue
1: absolutely yeah i mean to you know i mean I, to go to other countries and you realize that, I mean, it's like a lot of people are like, you know, United States first, United States first. Well, of course I was born here and this is my country and I'm proud and I'm patriotic, but it isn't the only place in the world. And when you go and you see, it's the people. I mean, really it's the most, it's people first. Okay, Not, not a place and uh, my heart is always when I'm with the people and their fans, that's what is warms my, my soul is, you know, that it, and, and jujitsu is one of those things, I, I was, I'm trying to remember what country I was in. I was in a country, at, at, trying to remember, and I'm going through a line somewhere to see an exhibit, and a guy has a jujitsu shirt, and I'm like, oh, you're a jujitsu guy, and he had very broken English, he oh, goes, yeah, yeah. We were brothers suddenly. It, all the way across the world, you know what I mean? It's like the biggest brotherhood like in the world. It's awesome. Um, so, yeah, but and that's the other thing about jiu-jitsu. It's the United Colors of Benetton in here. I mean, you come in here, and it's everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter what culture you're from. The police are training with guys that look like thugs, you know? There was and my and next question to you. Is, Everybody's a responsible Yeah. Because they've come here and they've put in the time and they have the respect for each other. it's it's It it creates this rise of respect.
0: And what Jiu-Jitsu represents to you?
1: That. Uh, that, it, that
0: uh, in a sense, is that Jiu-Jitsu had an impact on your life, your personal life and things that you do? Because you've been trained Jiu-Jitsu for half of your life.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I would... Be hard-pressed to understand myself without jujitsu anymore um you know what i mean because it is my lifestyle and that's that's one thing you know sometimes i see these uh companies gi companies and different people and it's like you know they're very focused on the the fighters and the competitors and it's like the people that live the lifestyle every day the teachers the educators the you know people that have been training for 15 and 20 years and, the, and every day they the younger students see them and look up to them they are as much if not more impactful than a lot of the competitors and i and i wish they some of they these are companies much bigger pay number more
0: attention yeah they're much bigger number than the competitors itself now let me ask you easy questions and i do ask that to every single person that's sitting in that chair who is ricky rocket
1: wow that's a big question huh i thought maybe you could tell me that uh, I was relying on you guys. No, don't answer that. Um, <laughs> that could be bad. No. Uh, you know, I think I'm uh, I'm a daddy more than anything. I'm I am a daddy to my kids, and that is first and foremost.
0: And and I think I have to to extend that answer because the time that I know you, I think what's it's incredible is we we end up meeting and having a lot of famous students but not all of them were the person that sometimes we expected and i think it's knowing you all these years for the person that you are you never treat us different in a way of because you're more famous You this you always being an incredible person hanging out with us and here i am sitting next to ricky rocket and saw you as a teenager and meeting you in person know you all these years it's incredible the human being that you are and having the the life that you had and here i am you're sharing a lot of stories with us and i know for all these years and with renato and you being an incredible incredible friend and i always tell that if i know people more than seven years to me as a family and knowing you all these years and see that you are an incredible person you know thank and, you, and uh thank you so much. it's that. it's an honor to have you here with us and sharing a little bit of some of the things and uh i hope and i wish i can bring you back many more times because there's oh, so yeah. many more yeah. things to talking about and it's good to see you man it is. and thank show you. that thank uh you. a real fighter you know having going through what you went through and still he is smiling, laughing. And, and, and a being shout example. out to Coach
1: over here who was on the <laughs> podcast. I mean, I, 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 God, I've spent so much time with this guy. It's crazy, right?
0: Yeah, we're talking I, about Renato Magno. He's uh, laughing. I, he's off camera here, but he's having a great time here. I spent here. more
1: time with him than my ex-wife. That's probably <laughs> the, the pro, that's probably why she's my ex-wife. No, I... <laughs> <laughs>
0: But you yeah, know, you yeah. Know,
1: but you it's it's the great, you know, jiu-jitsu is the great leveler. I took it very seriously when I walked into your school the first time and said, leave your ego at the door. Uh, you, you have to, because uh, if you don't, you're not going to hold up very well.
2: But it's it's interesting because, you know, we spend so much time on the mat, and you, you share all these amazing stories with people and the connections that you make and the, how things kind of cross over. A conversation with one person can carry over into something that You might experience later with somebody else and I I was at I have a gym in my house and I was hanging out with a friend uh, last week we were sitting on the mat and he shared a quote with me because we were talking about the student-teacher relationship and you know how much we absorb but then we can't keep it. And he told me this quote and it's just been resonating in my head. And the whole time I've been listening to you and everything that you've been through and everything, especially the story with the young man, right after you're diagnosed cancer-free, your first thing was to help. You can't keep it unless you give it away. And that is, that's you. That's, that was, I I heard, I heard this on Monday. You guys are nice, man. uh, What the heck?
0: So there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm out.
1: (laughs) that is a really, really great quote. I'm going to, let that resonate. I'm gonna
0: steal that from him.
1: Yeah. Not mine. I got through an entire interview without doing a Bruce Lee quote. I, I, that's unusual for me. <laughs> All
0: right, that's <laughs> your <laughs> time. <laughs> that's your chance right now. We're gonna end this, no gear oh, okay. required. All right, I got one. Point. a quote from Ricky Rocket. Let's do it, The thing about Jiu
1: Jitsu and the thing that he liked about Judo is in order to learn to swim, you gotta get in the water and that's what you do with Jiu Jitsu.
0: You got it, guys. Absolutely. Thank you very much once again. It's a great honor to have you here. Looking forward to see you back, and it's so great to see you, man. Thank you. See you next time for another no gear required. Thank you, guys.